It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast. As we come down to the final third of the football season, we are going to talk Mizzou, South Carolina here in a few minutes. But we're going to start elsewhere in the SEC East, and most of the news this week seems to be coming out of Knoxville, Tennessee. We'll talk to Paul Fortenberry, covers the volunteers for VolQuest.com on the Rivals Network. Paul, what's going on, man? Hey, not much, man. Just been an interesting week here, to say the least. Yeah, so let's just start big picture. Is it off the rails in Knoxville, coming off the rails, uh, exaggerated from the outside? What What's the situation down there? Well, I think we're at a turning point. Um, I, I think it's fair to ask those questions, no doubt, but I don't know that we can answer them right now. I mean, they still have three SEC East games to play, and, you know, there's an outside shot at getting to Atlanta if Florida loses – two of their last three SEC games and, and Tennessee can win out in their SEC game. So, I mean, it's a long shot if we're honest, um, but Tennessee still has something to play for. And in terms of growth of the program, I still think there is something to, um, to, to play for as well. Tennessee wins out and doesn't get to the SEC championship game. They still have the first um, opportunity to win 10 games in basically a decade. I mean, that, that's huge given where the program was. So, not ready to say it's coming off the rails, um, but I think certainly these next three games will define where the program is and, and really where Butch Jones is as a, as well. Well, let's start with the off-the-field stuff, the news this week. Uh, I, I got to say, with Jalen Hurd, it's the first time I've ever seen a, a report that a starting running back wants to transfer to somewhere that will develop him as a tight end. Was that actually the reason? What happened? Uh, I mean, it's it, it's crazy. Um, he, I, I don't know that he has the best advisors in the world right now. I think part of it is the beating he has kind of taken. In, in, in two and a half years, he has the second most carries in the history of the university. Right. Uh, I mean, if that doesn't tell you just how many times he, he's touched the ball. Um, so he's he's been through a lot, and he's never um, had the greatest of offensive lines to run behind either. And, and so I think the wear and tear is built up, and, and he may be just a little tired and, and, and battered and bruised and wondered, do I want to do this you know, the rest of my life for the next five or six years in the NFL? Because this guy, talking to some NFL people this week, he was generally viewed as anybody would be shocked if he was still on the board in, fourth, in the fourth round. Yeah. Uh, you know, that he wasn't dropping below the third round, even though he hasn't had the greatest of years. Um, and so it's just bizarre to think a, a young man that has so much, you know, in front of him decides to possibly give it all away. Now, the reality is I don't know that he can graduate and transfer and play immediately. And so if he's not able to do that, then you're talking about a guy who's not getting drafted until 2019, until the spring right. of 2019. That's a, that's, a, that's a pretty long ways away. And so what I think will end up happening, and I, I don't, you know, it says 50-50 that he ends up just training for the NFL draft and tries to get drafted this spring. Yeah, that was my question. I mean, he could transfer somewhere. He could, frankly, drop down and play a D2, or he could just go pro. Uh, so so you're kind of leaning toward, I mean, that's your guess at this point of time, is, is he may just go to the NFL? Yeah, and there's a new rule in football to where, in terms of dropping to FCS, and I don't know if this stands for Division um, Two, but we had – um, someone in uh, an administrative in the FCS world call us this week and tell us 
um, guys, he, he can't immediately transfer here and play anymore because oh, wow. he doesn't have at least two years of eligibility left. That rule now only stands if you've graduated, just like transferring from FBS to FBS. Now he has to sit out a year no matter where he transfers, if it's within Division One, if it's in FCS or F- FBS, unless he graduates. So that, I mean, you, you wonder if, if he wishes, he probably had a little bit more time to think on this and think through this because it seems like a pretty rash decision, um, you know, four or five days out of it. Yeah, I, I had no idea about that rule. I, that should go over well. I mean, any more rules that can be more restrictive for the kids seem to go over well for the NCAA. Yeah, I think those uh, – I mean, but, I mean, I get part of it because, you you know, it, do you want a guy like in Jalen Hurd's situation to throw away – so much at the last minute you want them to think about something like that but i mean most of the transfer rules are are, i mean i think we're probably on the same page here most of the transfer rules are pretty ludicrous yeah no question all right now let's talk about again talking to paul fortenberry about tennessee let's talk about on the field i mean okay tennessee tech this weekend that I, i mean barring disaster that's a win for tennessee but then you know kentucky at home missouri at home at vanderbilt i mean Tennessee's still – I understand they've lost three in a row. They haven't maybe looked as good as people thought, but they're still going to be favored in their last three games, don't you think? Yeah, I think so, uh, unless, like you said, something happens bad against Tech and, and they look terrible and barely win or, you know, somehow lose that game. I, I think they will. Uh, but the question is, uh, just because they're favored, I, I mean, I think for sure, I think right now from what we've seen, you have to say Kentucky's a toss-up. I mean, Kentucky yeah. looks like a totally different team. Um, I think it'll be a really good game. Tennessee, fortunately, it's at home for them, uh, where they've played pretty well this year outside of the Alabama game. And and then, you know, you, you go – you got Missouri at home, which, you know, I don't – that one doesn't worry me as much. No offense to all the Missouri it, no, fans. It I just don't at this point. Missouri just looks like a really bad football team going the wrong direction right now, and that's on the road at the end of the season, you know, not nothing to play for for them. Um, and then Vanderbilt is really interesting. Another team that will be fighting – uh, to get a bowl berth and win over Georgia. Um, and, and that one will be, regardless of what their record is at the end of the year, that's Vandy's Super Bowl. It, mm-hmm. it, it is every year. And Tennessee always gets their best shot. And um, it, it's going to be a close game uh, no matter what, unless something really surprises me. So uh, I think Tennessee's in for a couple dog fights down the stretch. And Josh Dobbs certainly has to play better. Um, he has played really poor football the last two games. Um, he, he has to be much sharper. But the emergence of John Kelly is going to be really interesting. I mean, Mizzou fans maybe need to remember that name for when he plays them. He's a guy that in his two opportunities this year against Texas A&M and, and now South Carolina, he averages almost seven yards a carry. Um, and it's you know beyond bizarre why he hasn't had more touches this year um, because he's, he looks like a really good running back. And so I think you know with him and if Alvin Kamara can get healthy, uh, before the Kentucky game, they, they still have a nice one-two punch. So it'll be interesting to see well, what that offense looks like and if the defense can stop the run. And then this defense is just look, – look, I know people Injuries. want to complain about Butch Jones. Oh, it's, it, it's, it's incomprehensible. I mean, yeah. it's beyond anything I've ever seen. Three of their top four defensive tackles, their top two linebackers for a majority of the season, the number one corner, um, you know, their, their second string safety this week um, got kicked through the face mask with a cleat. Have you ever seen that oh, before? It sounds yeah, I mean, really painful. Yeah, but I mean, I've never. Have you? I mean, I've never no. seen that injury before. And so it is just beyond. 
um, recognition what has happened on the injury front for them, and, and so it's wild. All right, last one for you. And I don't know, Paul. I feel like I go back and forth every week looking at Tennessee from, hey, they're clearly the best team in the East to blow this thing up and it, and it's all over. I, I can't decide. So what's – and I'm not asking for the message boards because we know that tends to be kind of – no offense, I, I know they pay our salaries, but that's the lunatic fringe. So <laughs> what's the feeling in Knoxville, the temperature – on Butch Jones, I mean, like you said, hey, they can win nine games. They still can win the East. But this was kind of viewed as, as at least by a lot of people, as the year in Knoxville. And and even if they do that, it's not quite the year. So so what's the feeling on uh, on him and where they're going? Oh, yeah. I mean, this was built to be 2016 was the year they had their best opportunity. And in all reality, this is the year they had their best opportunity. You know, they beat Georgia and Florida in the same year since – for the first time since 2004, and the, the heat is on. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to say he's on the hot seat uh, because, again, I do think these final three seasons kind of – or the final three games of the season determine where this program goes from here. Um, so I'll be really interested to see how it plays out. Um, but, you know, on, on the recruiting trail um, with this team, they still have some really good young players too. I mean, it's – yeah. You know, Josh or John Kelly is just a, a sophomore. They have a guy that's redshirting and Jarrett Garantano that was an Under Armour All-American at quarterback that people around the program say is really dialed in right now and looks really good. So um, I'll be really interested to see kind of what, what these last three games bring and if they can build a little bit of momentum and get to the offseason, get to the recruiting class and kind of finish well and, and move on and say, yes, it wasn't the year we thought, but at least we took another step forward from – you know, nine total wins last year to however many they end up with this year. Is there any scenario, I mean, if if things go poorly, let's say Kentucky and Vandy beat them, is there any scenario where you enter the offseason wondering if Butch Jones is back or or is, you know, are, are you assuming, hey, he's back. Now, next year may be important, but he's back. I think, you know, if he were to lose the final three SEC games, I don't, I mean, you have to have some serious questions whether or not he's the guy and whether or not he's lost this team. Um, especially with a lot of really good young players for the future. I, I think you would have to seriously question that. But now anything outside of that, even if they went 7-5, and five, I think he's safe. What you have to remember, too, Tennessee doesn't have an athletic director right now. The, the guy that is that AD is set to step down next year, and um, they'll be bringing in a new one, and, and we'll see how quickly that search shapes up now. But that, that's part of the equation, too, is even if things do get, go wrong, who has the power to, to say, hey, it's over? Is it the guy that's leaving in, in, in three or four months, or, or do they have a new one in by December, which would be really quick? So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as well. I mean, they're, they're looking for a chancellor and an AD at the same time. It, it's, there's a lot going on in Knoxville. Paul, this all sounds so familiar. In a couple of weeks down yeah, in Knoxville. Have you heard that story before? <laughs> yeah, down in Knoxville, I'll buy you a beer and talk you through the next few months down there. <laughs> I would appreciate that. All right, Paul. I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Gabe. We'll talk to you. Now we turn our attention to Mizzou and South Carolina. I always like this game because it's easy to remember where it's being played. You just say Columbia and you're safe. We're going to talk to uh, Chris Clark from GamecockCentral.com. Chris, what's going on, man? Hey, Gabe. Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate you taking some time. And uh, just want to start big picture. We just talked to uh, Paul Fortenberry about Tennessee. And obviously, uh, South Carolina, huge win last week. Uh, I've got to imagine that the feelings down in Columbia are probably as positive as they've been in quite some time right now. 
Yeah, it's amazing how one game can do that. Um, you know, in some changes with Jake Bentley uh, taking the helm at quarterback and looking good against UMass, even though they sort of squeaked out a victory in that one, and then they turn around and beat Tennessee, you know, which, uh, you know, despite the issues that Tennessee's had and despite the injuries they've had that have hurt them, still a talented football team, you know, in, in terms of when you look at the roster composition, if you're a coach um, and you get to pick a roster, you probably pick Tennessee even with their injuries um, just because they've got more experience, more talent at a lot of positions. But South Carolina has some good pieces too. And I think, uh, you know, it just sort of gives a little bit of a glimpse into the future. Um, the offense up until the UMass game averaged 14 points a game. And then, you know, they went to Bentley. They're playing a lot of young guys. They've got seven true freshman starters, uh, whether it's on offense or defense. Uh, they've still got a lot of issues with team speed and, and depth at certain spots. Uh, but, you know, to beat a, a team like Tennessee was a, a tremendous accomplishment for them. And I think it's got some people, you know, excited about the future uh, while still recognizing there's a lot of recruiting to be done. There's a lot of work to be done to try to get them uh, back where they need to be in the SEC East. Now, you mentioned Jake Bentley, and, and I admittedly don't know a whole lot about the kid. I have seen some headlines that say South Carolina is playing a quarterback who should still be in high school. Is that actually true? I mean, I know he's young, but is that actually yeah. true? It is. Uh, you know, now, age-wise, um, he's he's what you would expect for a true freshman in terms of his actual age when he was born. Uh, but he is a guy who right now should be playing his senior year of high school ball. Um, uh, to give a little background, he, he came up and he grew up in South Carolina. He went to Burns High School where his father, Bobby, who's now on staff at South Carolina, you know, has been an offensive coordinator and a head coach, a very successful high school coach up in Burns. And so Jake came up there, and when Bobby took a job at Auburn uh, as an offensive analyst under Gus Malzahn, the family moved there, uh, Jake – was at Opelika High School right near Auburn for a couple of seasons and, uh, you know, committed to South Carolina earlier in the year and then just decided, you know, if it could work out that he wanted an opportunity to basically forego his senior year of high school. He had all the credits he needed except for, you know, a couple of loose ends they had to tie up. And so he actually skipped his entire uh, senior season of high school. And so, yeah, that, it's accurate that had he not done that, he'd be playing his senior year you know, at Opelika High in Alabama or somewhere in South Carolina had he just moved here. So he is a guy that, you know, is, is that young. That's crazy. Uh, I understand he has given the the, uh, the South Carolina offense a little boost. They've played better. I mean, if I'm Missouri coming into this game, I look and go, look, I got a 17-year-old kid at quarterback. I got to get after him and try to rattle him. That has to be the game plan, doesn't it? <laughs> it is. A couple things about that, though. You know, number one, again – does this does this matter a lot in the grand scheme of things? I'm, I'm not really sure. I think it just depends on individual maturity. But you know, again, Jake, in terms of his his classification, grade classification, he should be a senior in high school. But he's a little bit older. Right. Uh, you know, he's he's the age of a, of most typical true freshman. Now that said, it's still difficult to play true freshman anywhere in college football, and it's difficult to play in the SEC where. You know, you've got a lot of really good defensive linemen and pass rushers. You look at some of the guys in this league that can that can go rush the passer, and that's sort of really what separates it on Saturdays is some of the guys that that are in the SEC. Um, and so, yeah, for Missouri, that's one of the things they've sort of hung their hat on, right, is they always seem to have 
these really good pass rushers, rushers down there. They just sort of breed. Up and till so now, I would, yeah. I would certainly think, right, and I would certainly think that'd be part of the game plan. But I will say this, Bentley, that was also the game plan for Tennessee. You know, Tennessee had not blitzed or shown as much pressure so far this season as they sent against South Carolina. Now, some of that could have been what they saw schematically that South Carolina was showing. Maybe they saw, okay, there's there's a hole we can hit here. There's, you know, a hole in their protection up front, whatever it may be. I have no doubt that part of it was, okay, let's go see if we can rattle this freshman quarterback. And the thing about Jake is is he's he's a very mature guy. He watches a ton of film. He's played quarterback a long time. He's a coach's son. He's He's a smart guy. And so, yeah, he's a true freshman. He's going to make some mistakes, but – He's sort of unflappable. He has a really good pocket presence about him from what we've seen so far this season. So I'm not saying that that's a bad strategy. If I'm Missouri, that's definitely what I do because South Carolina's shown some vulnerabilities in protection. And if you can disrupt Bentley, then you're going to have a good shot at disrupting the offense. Talking to Chris Clark with Gamecock Central. And uh, let's let's kind of flip over to the other side of the ball. And, I mean, obviously the, the strength of this South Carolina team still is defensively. They, they're a little bit of an – older school SEC look in that they've only scored 30 once they haven't given up 30 is the strength of the team the defense because that's what the roster is or because that's what Will Muschamp's teams always are it's because I really think it's because of the coaching staff now I I look at it this way Gabe I don't think from a talent standpoint that South Carolina's defense should have been as bad as it was the past couple seasons I also don't think that, that, that this defense is nearly as talented as it will be in, say, three or four seasons uh, when Will Muschamp can you know, continue to recruit. They have a lot of issues uh, with depth. They have a lot of issues where they don't you know, have a, a – the class isn't stacked correctly, I guess I could say. They have a lot of upperclassmen at linebacker, not a lot of young guys that they brought along, and, and some of them may not contribute a ton in the future. In the secondary – there's not a lot of depth at all. They have three corners that they feel pretty good about. They need big-time upgrades at safety. Uh, and then on top of that, Gabe, in the last game, Chris Lamont got ejected early, uh, starting corner. DJ Smith, one of their starting safeties, was ejected for targeting late. Uh, and then their starting nickel was injured early in the game. So they were down three guys already without depth. It was so bad that at the end of the game, Tennessee, trying in obvious passing situations, they had their starting Mike linebacker playing as a sixth defensive back in their dime package. So, you know, th- there's not a lot of depth. They still lack pass rushers, pass rushing juice, and, and they still need some guys who are going to play the run tougher. But I think it's been impressive what they've done in terms of piecing it together. There's still been a lot of issues, again, team speed, pass rush depth all those things I mentioned, but, but Will Muschamp, if he's proven anything, it's just he's a, he's a very good defensive coach. And I think the staff has done a good job of piecing it together, but they've still got some, uh, some challenges going forward and they've still got a lot of things to correct. Yeah. I mean, you just described to me a defense that sounds like it should be giving up 35 a game and be two and six, but I mean, yeah. Look, they haven't had the toughest schedule, but look, we know t- we know Kentucky can score. They scored 10. We know A&M can score. They scored 24. And we know Tennessee can score, and they scored 21. I mean, uh, right. so, it, you know, is it is it scheme? Is it smoke and mirrors? What What is it? 
I, you know, it's, it's it's almost hard to quantify. I think a lot of it's effort. Um, the practices are totally different at South Carolina now than they were. They, they're a lot more physical. They're a lot more fast-paced. It is really night and day if you watch the practice under Steve Spurrier and one under Will Muschamp. Now, Spurrier obviously had a lot of success during his time at South Carolina, so there can be arguments made for both. But, you know, some of the issues that South Carolina did have on defense, I think you can make the argument come down to you know, they needed to make some coaching and schematic adjustments and, and adjustments in the way that they prepare, and they prepare a lot differently. So that's one aspect of it, even though they're not that talented. And I, I think another part of it is they're doing it – again, I'm not saying it's perfect, you know, but right. a lot of it relates to their players, and they've done a good job of squeezing out the production that they can. You know, they, they've stayed relatively healthy on that side of the ball, which has been an absolute key because they don't have much depth they do have some older players who are pretty good players, not elite SEC difference makers, but guys who are good enough to play. And and those guys have helped sort of fill the gap. But they've just done a really good job of being sound um, in the secondary. You know, as as little depth as they have back there, they haven't really blown a lot of coverages and things like that. They, they blew two coverages really all season. They were both against UMass. Uh, one of them went for a long touchdown. You just don't see a lot of guys, you know, say running wide open and things like that. The bigger plays have been issues with, you know, like Georgia in the run game. They didn't play the run well at all. Uh, and then, you know, when when you've seen other teams make big plays, it's been a lot of team speed issues and, and missed tackles and things like that. But e- even the missed tackles have gotten better at times. So, I mean, what you described to me sounds like a very well-coached team that doesn't beat itself. So that ties into something that I think Missouri fans will be interested in because, look, Will Muschamp's head coaching days at Florida were not good. We all know it. Um, Mm -hmm. The the hire, I think, including myself, a lot of people looked and said, well, okay, Um, I don't get it. But, you know, there's a first-year head coach here who's obviously having a ton of trouble. I I think Missouri and South Carolina are fairly similar teams. The difference is you're saying South Carolina doesn't make many mistakes and beat itself. Missouri makes mistakes and beats itself in almost every game. So what I want to ask is how much, um, you know, patience is is running a little thin with Barry Odom here. How much do you Mm -hmm. think Will Muschamp is – hey, he's learned a lot, and he's a lot better head coach his second time around than he was his first time. You know, how much value is there in that three or four years' experience, even if he wasn't very successful the first time? Oh, there's a ton of value. And, and look, just to go back to one point real real quickly, um, South Carolina has made – they haven't made as many defensively. You know, they've had issues with some gap control, run games, stuff like that. They have had some self-inflicted wounds in terms of turnovers against Georgia. They had some key turnovers. They've dropped several punts, didn't field a punt in one game that they should have and rolled about 60 yards, it seemed like. So they've had some self-inflicted wounds that have still hurt them that, you know, that, that they could have had another win or maybe even two, you know, uh, notched on their belt if, if they hadn't. But, you know, it, it's a thing I think you can chalk up to young team too. But defensively, there haven't been a ton of, of mental errors and things like that. But as far as Muschamp's time, I don't think there's any doubt that the time at Florida helped him. I don't know how it's going to turn out at South Carolina, but I think it was a really, in my mind, a little bit of a lazy argument to say, well, if Muschamp couldn't win at Florida, he can't do it at South Carolina. I understand it's a recruiting-driven league, and some people said, well, you know, if it's harder to recruit to South Carolina and this and that. And Florida has a huge talent base. they got a national profile. they got more trophies in the trophy case. I understand all that, but 
you know, it, South Carolina is a place you can win. And you just got to have the right formula. And if Muschamp had been hired at South Carolina and said, you know what, um, I did everything right at Florida. I'm going to do it the same way. My way works. And we're going to do it that way. And we're still going to win. You know, I would have raised my eyebrows even more too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what he has done is he immediately said, okay, I, I did these things right at Florida and I didn't do these things right. Uh, he didn't find a quarterback. Uh, he didn't run the right offensive system until too late. And, and by then he didn't have time. And so he, he has changed his philosophy on offense. And he immediately signed two four-star quarterbacks in the same class. Uh, he signed five freshmen, no, six freshman skill position players between receivers, tight ends, and running backs who have all contributed. Uh, he's got a, a starting true freshman receiver and running back. Um, and, and they have done things differently. Is the offense what they want it to be? No. Um, but there's a lot of things that go into that. And he's going to take time, and I think people recognize that he needs time because a lot of fans realize the job that he's been handed in terms of really having to overhaul the roster. So, no, I, I just think I, I don't know if he's going to win a championship or win uh, boatloads of games when he's at South Carolina, but I, I think he's already shown – that he's taken some of the good that he brings from Florida and he's changed around the things that led to his downfall. And I think if you're a Gamecock fan, that's something that's probably encouraging. Well, I got to be honest, Chris, you've blown my mind with the, this idea that coaches can improve and get better with a little patience and time. Uh, I, I didn't think that was a thing, but uh, just a couple last ones for you. I mean, South Carolina's four and four. They're still at Florida next week. They're at Clemson to end the regular season. You got Western Carolina in there. So this game, yeah. this game's their bowl game, isn't it? I mean, win this game, you're probably yeah. going to a bowl game. Lose this game, you're probably sitting home. Yes, that's very true. And I think, um, you know, they should have won the Kentucky game. I think if there were some different circumstances there, they could have won that game. That was one they really shouldn't have lost. You can look back at all the other games and say, you know, even Mississippi State, not a very good football team, but you can look right. at that one and, there just aren't many plays, you say, you know, if they just had this play or that play. Uh, you know, Georgia, the turnovers. There's just a lot of things where even with this, the state of this football team, they could have done better. There's also games they could have lost. You know, could have lost against UMass, could have lost against Tennessee. So they have very little margin for error. And looking, you know, once we got through a first game in the first few games of the season, you could sort of project it out and say, you know, you look at Missouri, you look at South Carolina, and you say that's a winnable game for South Carolina. It's also very, uh, if this is a word, a very losable game. Uh, but it's one that they can win. And you look at Western Carolina and you say that's one they should win. And so Tennessee then became a game that they needed to steal. They needed to steal one against Tennessee or Florida uh, or even Clemson, which is the toughest task of all of them, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the Tennessee win was huge. And now this Missouri game becomes a, a, you know, a super bowl of sorts to try to get to a bowl game. Yeah. Now, uh, this last one for you, this series is, I, I mean, the last, uh, two of the last three have been incredibly exciting games. South Carolina with the big comeback yeah. here three years ago. And then, then Missouri with the big comeback there a couple years ago, um, I, I don't think there's nearly the buildup for this one that there's been a couple of times in the past, but these teams, look, they're going different directions, but I think they're fairly similar teams. I don't know if we'll get a good game, but I think we should get a close game, don't you? I agree. It could be. It could end up being one of those ugly games, but I do think it's going to be a close fourth quarter game. Um, there have been 
no no other types of games this season for South Carolina. The UMass game was a fourth quarter game. You know, there there really have not been any games in which it was just absolutely decided. You know, and until later in the game. I mean, even the Texas A&M game, they had the ball with a a chance to go tie it late, eight points down in the fourth quarter against a top ten team. Uh, they also had UMass with the ball with a chance to go win it late in the fourth quarter. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, both teams have had struggles. Both teams have issues, and you're right. I, I don't really always subscribe to the theory that because the te- teams typically play close that they're going to again, but there's been something about the Tennessee-South Carolina series, and there's been something about this Missouri-South Carolina series, at least in most of the games lately, that make it such, and I don't see either team being just uh, head and shoulders above the other, to be honest. Yeah, all right. Now, I don't think there's going to be a lot of Missouri fans making this trip. The enthusiasm is not all that high. But for the dozens that do, uh, where should they go Friday night? What should they do? Oh, man. You know, there, there's a lot to do. Um, per, me personally, if I'm if I'm coming in to stay, uh, I head to the Vista area, which is uh, sort of downtown, or it is downtown, and it's it's a short drive from the stadium. Actually, a lot of people probably stay near that area, but there's a lot of restaurants and bars and things like that to do. Um, Side head to the Vista, check out any of the establishments there, and you'll probably do pretty well for yourself. All right, well, Chris, looking forward to seeing you, man, and we'll uh, we'll talk this weekend. All right, Gabe, thanks for having me. All right, have a good one. Chris Clark, GamecockCentral.com, covers South Carolina, and uh, I don't know, guys, I, I don't know. Who knows with this team uh, what to expect. South Carolina's not great, but they're finding ways. Missouri's not great, and they're finding ways to lose. You know, so, hey, the line's probably about right. South Carolina should be favored. It won't at all be a surprise if South Carolina wins. I don't know if it's a shock if Missouri wins. I I mean, South Carolina, like like Chris said, there's not a big margin for error and all that, but Nobody's going to pick Missouri to win. Missouri's got a lot to prove. Uh, They've been going the wrong direction. South Carolina's been going the right direction. So, anyway, I'm flying out um, mid-morning tomorrow for Columbia. We'll be there by uh, tomorrow evening. We'll have full previews, full coverage. Alex Schiffer's got basketball stuff for you tomorrow night. So, thanks to Chris Clark. Thanks to Paul Fortenberry. And that's it for this week. We'll be back next Thursday on the podcast. Who knows? Talking about either uh, two and seven or three and six. Neither one of them sound great, but one sounds a whole heck of a lot better than the other one. Thanks for listening.